Wonderful. Well, good morning. And uh, my name is Paul. Um, for the, those of you that don't know me, I'm on the, uh, the leadership team here. And uh, we're going to start a uh, two-week series where we're going to be thinking about something that affects all of us, but that we maybe um, don't talk about as much as we should. And that's the whole area of mental health and wholeness. And uh, it's really important for us as Christians that we talk about these things and we think about them because the whole of the message of Jesus and the life of Jesus is about bringing wholeness and healing to people, isn't it? That's, the, that's really the, the goal that Jesus has. He said that he came to destroy the works of the enemy. And so um, we can talk about physical healing. We can talk about spiritual growth. We can talk, talk about all those other things. But the reality is that mental health is an issue for most of us at some point in our lives, and all of us are affected by it directly or indirectly. There are um, issues that all of us struggle with that come from the fall. And we're going to think a bit about that today. The, the way that we're going to do this um, two-part series is today we're going to talk about the issue of mental health. We're going to just think a little bit about what it is and, about, and, and really think about how we can remove the stigma from uh, talking about it and be able to get those things into the light um, and then next week, we're going to look in a little bit more detail about the paths for healing that the Lord um, really lays out for us that we find in Scripture and ways in which we can uh, engage with the healing that God wants for us. So let's, uh, let's start actually at the very beginning of the Bible. I'm just going to read to you from Genesis chapter 1, verse, uh, verses 27 to 29, and then I'm going to read a little bit from chapter 3 as well. So uh, Genesis, first book of the Bible here, says this. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living, living creature that moves on the ground. Then God said, I give you every seed-bearing plant on the face of the whole earth and every tree that has fruit with seed in it they will be yours for food. And then, of course, um, God created Adam and Eve that way. They're living in the Garden of Eden. They have all of these blessings that he's given them. And then um, there's the story of the serpent coming and tempting them, and uh, they take from the fruit of the, knowledge, uh, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and you have the fall. And this is after that's happened, and um, this is what happens in uh, Genesis chapter 3, verse 22. And the Lord God said... The man has now become like one of us, knowing good and evil. He must not be allowed to reach out his hand and to take also from the tree of life and eat and live forever. So the Lord God banished him from the Garden of Eden to work the ground from which he'd been taken. After he drove the man out, he placed on the east side of the Garden of Eden cherubim and a flaming sword flashing back and forth to guard the way to the tree of life. And of course... It wasn't that God was wanting to just uh, not allow access to the tree of life. It's that he didn't want us to have access to the tree of life while we were in our fallen state. And um, I think that, uh, you know, in the, in the, in the Bible, um, trees and people were often used as symbolism. Trees were often used as symbols of people. I, I think that um, the tree of life is a symbol of, of the redeeming power of Jesus. I think that's what it is. And I think that as we come to him, of course, the way... To eternal life is reopened. But at this time, um, there was a mystery for the people of the Old Testament. There was a mystery that wasn't yet revealed, which was that God was saying, 
Um, there's a plan, but you don't yet know what the plan is. We're blessed, aren't we, that now we do know what the plan is. And it's not, a, it's not, a, it's not an it, it's a, it's a he, it's a person. Jesus was the plan. And so God had that plan all the way through. And yet, we all carry these echoes of Eden with us, don't we? We carry the loss um, in ourselves. I don't know whether you noticed in that first passage, but there were three great blessings that God gave to humankind when he created us. We were designed, you were designed, to function all the time with unconditional approval. I think hopefully that's on the next slide, we'll see that. You were, you were designed to function all the time with the blessing of God being manifest in your life, in your mind, in your heart, so that as you're walking around, doing your daily things, you know, working, getting up, relating to people, the whole time your experience is one of unmitigated approval from God. That's the way that you were designed. That's the way that God wanted it to be. And the fool has robbed us of that. It's not that God doesn't love us. He's never stopped loving us. But there are all sorts of things in our lives that no longer merit approval. It's just the reality of sinfulness, isn't it? So we carry that brokenness with us all the time. For some of us, it's, uh, it's made slightly less, the effect is made slightly less bad if we have people in our lives who are very good at giving us approval. And for some of us, it's made worse if there's people who withhold approval. But we can all end up chasing after it and trying to get it for ourselves from other places other than God. We were designed to walk with this unconditional approval over our lives. The second thing, so God blessed them and gave them his approval. The second thing that he did was he asked them to rule over every creature. And you were designed as a human being to function with confident authority. You were designed to be in authority over your body, in authority over your mind, in authority over the world around you, in authority even over the living creatures. That's what you were created for. Humankind were created to rule over creation while walking in absolute submission to God. So we were walking in submission to God and then God is through us ruling over creation. That's the way that you were made. And so all of us have that loss and that brokenness that we no longer are in control. We're not even in control of our own thoughts and bodies, let alone in control of the world around us. And it's a brokenness and it's a struggle and we carry it every day. And then there was the third blessing that God gave in Eden, which is he said you can have every seed-bearing plant and every fruit tree on the surface of the earth for your food. God designed human beings to have appetites and needs, but the point of those was to be a blessing. We were designed to have appetites and needs that were constantly met all the time, to have the joy of having those needs met. And, um, and of course, as we were cast out of Eden, as we experienced the loss of the brokenness that came from the fall, then now we have all of these needs that no longer are met. And instead of being these sources of joy, they become a source of stress and a source of constant concern and, and, and we begin to feel like we have to fill those needs ourselves. And so we were, we were designed for unconditional approval, confident authority, satisfied appetites, and those of you that are part of Grace Gathering know that we've been thinking a lot over the last few months about um, the, different, the ways in which we can explain the gospel. And one of the ways is the three Bs, isn't it? We talk about we were designed for beauty, but then we came into a place of brokenness. 
And God wants to call us to a place where, once again, we can be born into a new life, where we get those things back. But our experience in the interim, I mean, one day, there will be a day where all of the things, if you know Jesus, all of the brokenness will be taken away. And you'll be back in a place of absolute, unmitigated blessing and peace. But for now, we're walking with the brokenness of those echoes of Eden resonating in our hearts. Every one of us. Every one of us is looking for approval. Every one of us would like to have a level of authority in our lives that we don't see. And every one of us has unmet appetites and desires and needs. It's the, it's the human condition. And we lost this because of the effect of the fall that we have those things. So brokenness is everybody's condition. And the effect of all of that is a loss of well-being, isn't it? God designed you when he made you. He, he wanted you to experience a sense of joy and pleasure and well-being all the time. That's what he designed. When he first designed humankind, he looked and he saw and he said, this is good. He wanted you to experience that and that to just be your normal experience. There's a few kind of remnants of that that we can see even in our fallen world, aren't there? Have you noticed this time of year, I mean, I don't know about you, being cooped up in the house during winter and then all the grass turns green and all the birds start singing and the blossom comes out and you just go out and all you're doing, very, very simple thing, is you're just stepping out into the creation that God made and it gives us joy, doesn't it? Isn't that amazing? I've never understood when people say they don't believe in God how you can understand those things. If you don't believe in God, how would, why would just being outside make you full of joy? If that doesn't tell you that there's a loving creator behind the world, what does? Yeah? And, and so there were echoes of that, but those are just echoes. Originally, God's plan was that you had this absolute sense of well-being and wellness in every part of you, your mind, your body, your emotions, your spirit. Every part of you is in a place of joy and peace. And the effect of the fall is to rob us of that sense of well-being. Now what we get is we get little hints of that, little tastes of that, but a lot of the time we can spend really struggling if you're somebody, for example, who struggles with significant levels of anxiety, I don't know, I would say when I've had times of anxiety, the experience emotionally is almost like inside yourself, you're constantly being bathed in acid. And it's a terrible thing, isn't it? It's not surprising that it has physical health implications when someone has anxiety over and stress over long periods of time. And these things don't just affect us um, spiritually, but they affect us mentally as well. And that's what we're talking about a little bit today. Um, there, are, there are probably um, multiple ways in which we're affected mentally um, by the fall, but some of them are kind of indirect and some of them are direct. An indirect one would be this. You may not even be aware of the environmental conditions that affected you, particularly when you're in your formative years, when you're in the womb, when you've been born, when you're in your early childhood, there are all sorts of things, some of which are physical environmental conditions. So for example, if, you, um, if, you were, if your parents, if your mother was really stressed and anxious while you were a baby in the womb, probably that will have some effect on you. I mean, they've done all sorts of studies that, make, that suggest that that would be the case. Certainly, if you were born to um, uh, parents that were, um, had addiction going on, for example, alcohol addiction, that probably has a lifetime effect on you. And then there are other kinds of things. The environment that you're in when you're a young child during your formative years, these things will still be affecting you 50, 60, 70 years later. 
they have a huge effect on your mental well-being. So environmental conditions. Another one is inherited genetic conditions. If you suffer, say for example, from regular depression, and, and you're thinking, I, I, I don't know why I feel so low and so depressed, because it's not that my life is terrible, I just, I just have this going on in my life. It may be that if you look through your family history, you'll see a history of that going through parents and grandparents and so on. That's not always the case, but it's one of the things, it's an indirect effect of the fall, is that there are things you've got no control over that just have been handed down to you genetically. You didn't choose what, your, what, your genetic, uh, what you received genetically, it's just what you've got. The Lord will work in that and he'll work through that and he'll, he'll want to bless you and help you in that, but it's, it's part of what can cause mental illness and mental struggle. And then there's the, just the purely physiological stuff. There's the, the physical stuff. There are conditions and um, things that can happen to us that just affect our brain chemistry. I mean, you really can just have physical issues that cause mental problems. Many of us ha have that at different times in our lives. And then there's the more direct effect of the fall as well, isn't there? Which is that we can have experiences which extremely, are extremely damaging. So if you for example, have abuse in your background, whether it's um, mental abuse, you know, verbal, whether it's physical, you're beaten, whether it's sexual abuse. Those sorts of things um, can affect somebody for their entire life. It's just the reality. One day, it will all be taken away. What a joy that day will be. But between now and then, these things have a huge effect on us. And there is not one person in the room who will not be affected by some of those things. All of us have it. And, um, you know, it means that none of us really function mentally in the way that God originally designed us to function. It's just the reality of our lives. And um, it's important that we recognize that, and it's important that we're prepared to talk about that. I'm just going to put up some of the common symptoms. This is um, off one of the government health websites, just talking about the different kinds of mental uh, illness and problems that we can have. I'm not going to read them all, but why don't you just take a moment and have a read through them? And I'd like you to just think to yourself, you may not have experienced any of these in a really extreme way, but what would be the areas for you where brokenness manifests? Just have a little read. Just ask, perhaps ask the Holy Spirit to just show you as you're reading, just help you to see what would be the areas for you of, um, of danger, of struggle, uh, the repeating areas in your life. Maybe some of us are thinking, looking at those and thinking, well, pretty much all of them. <laughs> but most of us will have at least some of those that we can really identify with. For me, and I just want to, I want to talk about my own experience in this area, because one of the things for us as a body, I really feel that at Grace Gathering, we're called to health, aren't we? You know, the, the Christian battle is not just with sin, it's also with sickness. Jesus, look at the ministry of Jesus, it's absolutely clear that he wants us to be well. He said he came that we would have life in all its fullness. If we're going to do that, one of the things that we have to do as a church is we have to begin to remove the stigma of mental illness and we have to actually be prepared to talk about it. And that means that all of us need to be able to talk about where we're struggling with it so that then that gives permission to each other to talk about it. So for me, growing up, um, I, I guess some of, the, some of the influences on me was that we're, there was some genetic stuff. So there's a history in my family going back of um, bipolar disorder. My grandmother um, killed herself as a result of bipolar, of diagnosed, wasn't called bipolar in those days, it was called manic depression, but she um, 
she committed suicide when my mum was young, when my mum, I think, was nine. Um, as a result of that, my mum was very depressed when I grew up, and depression has been there with me all the way through. As a child, a bit, as I came into teenage, I would get these black, black depressions that would close in on me. I could actually physically feel them closing in on me, and it would mean I'd find it very, very difficult to talk to anybody, very difficult to think clearly. All I'd want to do is just kind of withdraw and not see anybody. And um, as I went into adolescence, I also began to really feel um, deep levels of self-loathing and self-hatred. I, I really, really didn't like myself at all. And I remember saying to my mother, I was saying, what do you do when you, when you hate yourself? You can't get away from yourself. You're stuck with yourself. What do you do? And, um, and by the time I was in my late teens, one of the ways that um, that would manifest is that I began to engage in some levels of self-harm. Not really serious self-harm, but sometimes I would cut myself or I would do things like punch walls or things like that because there was something cathartic about the feeling of pain would make me feel like it expressed how I felt about myself. And, um, and, and then the other thing for me that's been an issue, and this carried on right through into probably into my early 30s, is that I'd also have times where I'd have panic attacks. And usually they were associated with um, large groups of people, which is kind of ironic with me talking to you guys now, isn't it? So it's a sign of God's healing. Um, but in, you know, certainly in my 20s, there's absolutely no way that I would be talking to you guys like this now. And, it's, and, um, and, and particularly um, in situations perhaps where there were lots of crowds together, I'd start to be very claustrophobic, my heart would start to beat very fast, I'd start to sweat, I just need to try and get out of there. And um, for me, I would say that um, there's been healing, and we're going to talk about the healing side of mental illness much more next, next week. Today, we're really talking about the issue. But what I would say is that my experience hasn't been an ATM quick fix, but it has been an experience of healing. And um, for me, it's been over a 20-year period as I've walked with the Lord. Once I came to know the Lord, he began to impact those things. And I found that gradually those periods of depression have become less strong and have occurred less often as time's gone on, and the self-loathing, the self-hatred has disappeared completely, I would say, and so has the self-harm, but it didn't happen quickly for me, it's happened gradually over a period of time. Maybe some of you can relate to that, and some of you are still in it right now. And uh, if, you're, if you're struggling with some of those things, um, you know, I can give a testimony of healing now, but it's, it's been probably 30 years that God's been uh, in that process of healing me. And you know, it's important for us to recognize as well that these things, they're not just um, either you have it or you don't have it. Um, I have a friend in the UK who's, um, who's a psychiatrist, a very eminent psychiatrist, and he very kindly, back when I was leading a church there, came and spent some time talking to us about mental illness. And one of the things he said is that almost all of the symptoms that can be diagnosed within mental illness are kind of function on a, they kind of function on a spectrum, on a continuum, and most people with most of those conditions are somewhere on that spectrum. So for example, if you have certain forms of schizophrenia, you may hear voices in your head that are actually like people talking to you. In your head, there's people talking to you, and these voices are talking to you, and they're probably saying negative things, saying things about you. Maybe there's voices telling you that you're useless and that you're worthless. But you don't have to actually be hearing voices at the other end of that continuum to still have those same dialogues going on in your head. You may be still fighting um, you know, ways of thinking that you inherited as a child. Perhaps you were raised by parents who only gave you 
um, a sense of um, approval if you achieved things, and if you didn't, you got disapproved of. Or, well, there's so many reasons, aren't there, that we can have these things. So you, can, you may not hear voices, but you may still have the dialogues. You know, there are lots of conditions like that. Another one would be, some, one, of the, one of the conditions that people sometimes think of as the most, some of the most um, serious um, examples of, of mental illness, although I don't think they necessarily are, they're just another example, would be something like um, dissociative identity disorder. That's, um, that's where people actually have um, different personalities in the same person. And, and at one level, you, you, you might say, well, either you have that or you don't. But actually what's going on is, all of us are different in different situations. In fact, I don't know about you, I remember as a teenager, I was a completely different person when I was with my friends to when I was with my parents. I don't know whether that was the same with you. But all of us do that. But then when you, when you have a situation where you experience perhaps some of those circumstances that, that, that push you up that spectrum, maybe you experience se se severe abuse, then some people get to a point where they actually have different personalities, different, different identities, that express themselves completely differently, maybe with even different names, different ways of talking and so on. But it's still on the same continuum. So it may be that you're thinking with some of these things, well, I don't think I have that particular mental illness, but it may be actually that there are all sorts of areas where we have these things on a spectrum in our, in our lives and we're having to deal with them. Brokenness is everyone's condition. Brokenness is my condition. Brokenness is your condition. If we recognize that as a church, then we can begin to remove the stigma of talking about these things, can't we? And we can help each other go on a journey of getting healed. I think it's important when we're talking about mental illness and we're reflecting on it perhaps theologically, not just um, medically. I'm not really that qualified to talk about it medically. My training is theological. I think we have to talk, we have to talk about demons because demons are mentioned in the Bible. They're they, you see them in the ministry of Jesus a lot. I mean, you can't read the Gospels without running into multiple examples of Jesus um, uh, driving out demons from people. And the Bible often associates demons with mental illness. But let's just be clear, um, they're not the same as mental illness. So demons are fallen angels. Um, they're real. In my experience, um, they connect themselves with people. I think angels are designed to serve they serve the people of God. The writer of the Hebrews, for example, tells us that. So they, they, they serve the people of God. And in some ways, angels have been, um, and humans have been designed in some way that we will understand when we get to heaven. The Bible doesn't talk much about it. But they, angels are able to strengthen us, to encourage us, and those sorts of things, to edify us. How do I know that? Because there's, for example, um, the story of Jesus at Gethsemane, where that's exactly what they come and do with him. Yeah? And he's functioning as a human being. Even though he's God, he's functioning as a human being. So angels come and encourage and strengthen. Fallen angels seem to be able to use those same sorts of connections to pull us down, to oppress, to give us problems and to, and to cause us to struggle. Um, and, um, and, and I think that's a reality. I do have some issues with the way that some translations of the Bible translate the Greek um, in the New Testament when it talks about demons. The, the word that's used um, when people have got demons uh, besetting them is daimonizami. It's dynamizami, which actually literally translated would be demonization, not demon possession. And I think we've thrown this kind of word possession in there. I think that's unhelpful. It doesn't really describe what's going on 
um, in, um, except in perhaps very extreme situations, which I've never experienced happening with Christians. Um, but I think what's going on is, in a way, this is just, it's not a perfect um, analogy, but my experience of having done lots of work with people, I've prayed with people who are struggling with mental illness, and I've done deliverance ministry for people who have got problems with um, demonization, is to me it feels like an emotional or a spiritual wound has been infected spiritually. You know, if you have a physical wound, if you want to get it healed up, the first thing you have to do is remove the infection, and then when you remove the infection, that doesn't mean the wound's better, but it means it can start to heal. And I found when working with people and doing ministry, if there are demons involved, usually it's a bit like the wound has been infected and you have to get rid of that. The good news is that he who's in us is stronger than him who's in the world. If you're a Christian, you actually have the authority to get rid of demons and there are limits on what demons can do. Paul, for example, in Romans 8:38, tells us that demons are not capable of separating us from the love of God. If you remember the story in the New Testament of the most demonized person in the Bible, do you remember that was the guy in the Gerasenes who had legion, had a legion of demons in him and, and he couldn't be held, he couldn't be chained. He's, even he, when Jesus came, ran to Jesus and fell at his feet asking for help. So even somebody who was that much beset still couldn't be kept from Jesus. So it's important for us to recognize that. We have the authority as Christians to deal with demons so we don't need to be afraid of them. And I think it's really important that we don't confuse um, demons with mental illness. It's, it's possible for somebody to be extremely mentally ill and there not to be any demons anywhere around at all. So it's just really important that we don't get those two things confused, even though we recognize that demons are real. Um, and at the end of the day, Jesus came to set the captives free. If you're struggling with some kind of mental illness, probably more than anything else, you're going to feel like there's an element of captivity. I don't want to be like this, but I don't have a choice. I don't want to think like this, but I can't seem to stop. I don't want this anxiety, but it seems to force itself on me. It's a feeling of captivity, isn't it? Well, the good news is this. Jesus came to set the captives free. That's why he came. If you're captive, Jesus came to set you free. And so what we, we're going to think about this a bit more next week, but what we're going to need to really engage with, I think, as a church, is firstly that we need to remove the stigma from mental illness, provide safe opportunities for people to talk about it. If you're someone who struggles with mental illness or you have struggled with it and you're prepared to talk about it, every time you're prepared to talk about it, which is an act of courage and an act of faith, every time you're prepared to talk about it, you're probably helping other people to talk about it too. So if you have the ability to do that, that's why I just shared with you some things from my own life from the stage. If you're able to do that, talk about it. It will help others. It's, it's a part of everybody's experience of the fall. There is not one person in this room who has no mental illness. All of us have some level of it. And um, as with physical healing, we need to seek healing in every way that we can. So we go and get prayer ministry. We spend some time with people. It might be that we need counseling. We need somebody who understands the way the mind works, who can help us to think through. And also, we might need uh, medical care. We might need um, medicine and things like that. Let's go after healing in all of the ways that we can. The third thing about healing that we'll look into more next week, I think, is that, that healing comes, when we're talking about emotional, spiritual, and mental brokenness, healing always comes in the context of community. It's very, very difficult to get healed up if you just stay as a lone individual. 
And so there's something that's incumbent on all of us as a family to get round each other and to help each other be supported so that we can be healed in these areas. You know, Ellie and I, the very first missional community that we led when we were newly married back in the UK, we had a woman who came and joined the missional community who was extremely um, mentally ill. She had had times where she was... Um, uh, I don't know what you call it in America. In England, we call it sectioned. It's where you have to stay in a psychiatric hospital and you're not allowed out for your own safety and for the safety of others. She'd had times like that, and then she'd had times where she was able to function a little bit. She was living on her own. She'd had extreme abuse when she was a child uh, from her father and from other adults. Extreme abuse. I, I mean, I couldn't tell you some of the stories that she told us. And it had left her very, very broken. And one of the ways that that manifested itself was that she just had extreme depression, clinical depression all the time. She could barely function. And, and yet, even that hadn't stopped her from beginning to come to Jesus. And one day she turned up at our missional community. And we realized as we got to know her, I'll call, I won't, it's not her real name, I'll call her Sarah. As we got to know Sarah, we realized that she was never going to get, receive the he healing that Jesus wanted if she just remained completely on her own. She needed community around her. So we invited her to come and live with us for a while and she lived with us for um, a few months. And, um, and uh, we had some interesting times. I mean, Ellie one time, I, I've told, I think I might have told you guys this before, but Ellie one time got back from work and wanted to do the cooking and she'd locked herself in our bathroom with all of our kitchen knives because uh, she tended to self-harm. And Ellie's knocking on the door saying, excuse me, Sarah, um, do you think we could have our knives back? I want to cook the dinner. You know, we didn't know what we were doing. And she used, to be, she used to be so depressed that she'd be sitting in an armchair when we went to work and she'd still be sitting in the armchair when we came back and uh, she hadn't got up out of the armchair all day. And, um, and then one day we got back after a few weeks and we'd just been loving on her. We'd just been you know, having her every day for food with us. You know, she's living with us. We're talking to her. And then one day we came back and she was really excited and we said, have you had a good day? She said, yeah, I have actually. And we said, oh, why is that, Sarah? Why, is, why have you had a good day? She said, well, they came, the man came to collect the trash and I realized you hadn't put your trash out. So I got, off, I got up out of the seat and I went and took your trash out and came back. And for her, that represented a huge step forward, you know? And then over time, what we did was we began to invite members of our missional community to come and eat with us and with her and get to know her and her get to know them and begin to trust them. And then we started saying to them, would you now mind inviting her to come for dinner with you? And we, we connected her up with the whole community. And when, a, when after a few months she moved back to her apartment, she then had people visiting her from our community maybe about five times a week. And she's going to carry brokenness with her until she goes to be with the Lord. But she saw, still saw some significant healing over where she'd been. She began to step into the things that God had for her. I don't believe that there's any level of brokenness and mental illness that the Lord can't bring healing to. I think it's important that we recognize in a holistic way the sovereignty of God. God doesn't always, in every situation, express his sovereignty by just healing us like that. There's, uh, there's multiple ways. There's a day, one day, where we will be completely healed. That's part of God's sovereignty, isn't, isn't it? He'll work even in the brokenness, in all things for our good. He'll work for your good even in the perseverance and the struggle of, of mental illness. But there are also times where he'll step in and say, and now you're going to be made well. Just like Jesus did that to people all the time. And so all of those things can be our experience. I think the first step, if you're struggling with these things, some of these things, and you know that you are, 
the first step is this. Let's, ste- let's stand up and, and step into the light and let's, let's, as a church, decide that we're not going to have stigma associated with mental illness and let's actually, let's actually ask for help. There'll be an opportunity just in a minute when we finish. There'll be an opportunity to go to the prayer team. Maybe you've never had prayer. Maybe you've never told someone that you're actually depressed or maybe you know, that you've got other mental illnesses that are going on. Why not go and, and talk to them and say, actually, I'd really like you to pray for me. It's a step of bravery. It's a step of obedience in stepping into healing. And it will help others as well. So we're going to move towards that. Next week, we're going to look in a little bit more detail about some of the things that God wants us to do in order to receive healing. But before we do that, I just want to finish today by reading a very familiar passage, but I want us to process it through the lens of mental health and mental illness. So perhaps you might want to shut your eyes and just be aware of and think of the areas of struggle that you have. Where are you experiencing that brokenness? What's it look like for you? Is it anxiety? Is it compulsion, addiction? Is it um, depression? Is it those dialogues that go around your head? Is it a more severe um, illness on that, on that continuum? What is it for you? I'm going to read to you from Isaiah 61. You guys know that passage. But hear it as Jesus speaking into those mental illness struggles. The spirit of the sovereign Lord is on me because the Lord has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He sent me to bind up the brokenhearted. He sent me to proclaim freedom for the captives and release from darkness for the prisoners. To proclaim the year of the Lord's favour and the day of vengeance of our God to comfort all who mourn and provide for those who grieve in Zion. And I'm going to read this next bit. It's, to, it's talking about all the people who received the ministry of Jesus, but that includes you. So I'm going to read it to you instead of just generally. To bestow on you a crown of beauty instead of ashes. The oil of joy instead of mourning and a garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair. You will be called an oak of righteousness, a planting of the Lord for the display of his splendor. You will rebuild the ancient ruins and restore the places long devastated. You will renew the ruined cities that have been devastated for generations. Lord Jesus, we thank you that you are the answer. We confess our brokenness to you. All of us have mental health issues of one kind or another, Lord. And yet you're the answer for all of us. We thank you for your love. Amen.